Um, I don't really think about my body temperature or any physical needs when I'm on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually when I go to lunch, I'm like, whoa, it's really hot out here. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude, I worked up a sweat setting up all the equipment. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you also don't move. I conserve energy by never moving out of my chair position. That's fair. All right, there. <laughs> this isn't going in the show. <laughs> all right. I like that. Hello. 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 We're doing a mix. Yeah. I still haven't figured out how to make it look better on the screen because it's so small. Mm. I haven't figured that out yet with this mixer. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it's, I think that'll just be gain, right? Yeah, I just have to adjust the gain in there. I think you can also just zoom in <laughs> and it looks bigger. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess it's down to <laughs> seconds. So. <laughs> okay. All right, so this is tech, well, not even technically, I don't know why I would say technically. <laughs> so the last episode, I said a lot of likes. I was like, like this, like that, you know, like this, <laughs> but all right, let's do episode three. All right. I'm not sure why I feel the need to tell people it's episode three, like in the audio, because they hear that it's episode three or they know it's episode three when they click on it. Cause I label it episode three. Maybe some people, there are psychopaths out there who probably shuffle the Spotify podcasts. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but they're definitely there. Otherwise the feature probably wouldn't be there. There, there's yeah. a subset of people who feel very strongly about it. Yes. So, all right. Welcome to broken lenses, Dane. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you are the software engineer. I think that's what your title is. Yeah. Something like that. Yep. Software engineer. <laughs> For Jack Capital? Correct. Yeah. Jack Capital. Okay. Is that what you wanted to do when you were a little three-year-old tyke saying, I want to be a software engineer? I've always wanted to do everything. So <laughs> yeah, that was one of the many <laughs> multiverse... Uh, inceptions that I that I view uh envisioned for myself I mean I've wanted to be in everything at some point yeah I'm the kind of person like I'll, I'll pick up a skateboard and I'll be like you know when I was like eight I skateboarded a lot and I was like, I'm gonna be the next Tony Hawk and uh, my grandpa <laughs> said it wasn't a good career choice and there wasn't a lot of money in it um and he was right but I, I just stopped skateboarding <laughs> pretty soon thereafter <laughs> right, so when did you get on a computer when was what was the first computer that you got on Oh, man, that's going way back. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I'm constantly surprised by what I... All right, let's circle back. This is going for... Upon analysis, it always gets more complicated. So my, I grew up in the Bay Area until I was 10. I lived in the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley, uh, a place called Dublin, California. My dad worked at Adaptech. Um, as the art director, my dad's an artist, uh, and Adaptech is, they had, I don't know if anyone remembers it, but before there was USB, there was these big blocky, they were called SCSI connectors. That's what Adaptech did. Okay. So he worked at a software company, you know, it was the Silicon Valley. So very much like corporate. I hardly saw my parents, truthfully. Uh, my mom worked in medical and regulatory device, uh, kind of approval processes, so getting those approved to the FDA, which I had done, I've also done for a moment there for about three or four years. And um, so I was exposed to technology pretty early. My older brother played a lot of video games like EverQuest and, and that sort of thing. So I don't even remember EverQuest. It's old. It's like World of Warcraft before World of Warcraft. Okay. So yeah. I, yeah, I never, I never got into World of Warcraft. Yeah, one of the first MMOs, and I, I just remember I was really young. I was probably six or seven when I was playing that. I would hop on my brother's computer, um, and you would just, I mean, there were certain things, like, people would be like, hey, you know, my brother would give me really valuable items and stuff, and uh, 
somebody in the game would be like, hey, can I borrow that? And I'd be like, sure. And they just never give it back. And I was like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't get it. Why did they just take it from me? People are so cruel. Um, so exposure to computers and video games was re- was really high from a young age. Like, you know, I... When I was younger, like uh, Super Nintendo when I was really young, and then more like PS1, N64. Actually, that's honestly what I attribute to a lot of my reading capabilities okay. because I read a lot um, because of video games because you used to have to read stuff back then. Yeah, because they didn't have the graphics they have now. and the... Yeah, exactly. You didn't have voice acting. You would just read. Um, so that really helped me get comfortable with that, and I was just kind of around it. Like, I was adjacent. Like I said, I there's a lot of times where I have to remember that that wasn't the case for everyone. I was privileged. Ultimately it was what it was. Like I was lucky to be in an environment where that was, where I was surrounded by technology. You know, my dad has been an Apple fanatic since, you know, the seventies and eighties. <laughs> so he was always, you know, I mean, he was always really passionate about technology and always wanted the newest thing. He's a really talented musician. So I, I think that it was kind of the creativity was stoked by my dad. But then he would also do cruel things. So when I was about 10 years old, we moved to um, this place called Sonora, California. So it's like 12,000 people in the whole county. Uh, it's past Yosemite Valley, like not like but an hour and a half south of where the Donner Party was in California. <laughs> right. So like Tahoe, like that area, okay. middle of nowhere. And like we didn't have Internet and I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, so my dad handed me a tw- uh, 56K modem. No ISP. There was no internet going to our house. And he's like, here, you can figure it out. And I spent weeks disassembling it, literally like removing capacitors and trying to get it to work. But the real reason was that that we didn't have an internet service provider. And he just let me go for weeks. And he just thought it was hilarious. (laughs) I could see... I I could see getting frustrated. Yeah. He never told me it was impossible. He just, just sat there and watched. I mean, what what actually happened? Did he finally tell you that you didn't have an internet service provider, so it was never going to work? Yeah, no, we got a modem, and it all got installed, and I, I asked the guy who <laughs> was installing it, and he was like, yeah, that. Would, I mean, we have to send it to your house, and I was like, oh, okay. I see now. Okay. All right. So, before computers, I guess I'm interested in before computers. Yeah. Like, how old... How, old were you when you were like computers is a thing for me because you said you wanted to do you wanted to do everything yeah but when was it like was it hey i have a talent for this or hey my parents you know have this background and i have the opportunity and you know all the all the advantages to to yeah i i mean for for me computers and, and still to this day are just a tool right it's it's like saying, okay, now you finally ended up in, I, I can't find like a, a comparison, but to me, computers are the most powerful tool that you can wield. If you want to be a video editor, you're on a computer, right? You're not a software engineer. You're on a computer. Fair. Everything you do, you want to record a podcast. We're using computer equipment. Yeah, we are using You want to text right somebody. That's a computer. <laughs> Everything is a computer. <laughs> Right. Everything that we do, you, you, you have a bank, you have money in a bank, computers. There's not, I couldn't, I was thinking about it the other day. And even when I worked at an auto parts store, when I was a mechanic, do you know what we used to locate jobs? A computer. computer. <laughs> There's no getting away from it. And yeah, I mean, so, so to me, I was like, I thought, I think everyone has these skills and it's something I have to check myself on constantly. Cause I, I'm reminded that people don't <laughs> because I often have to help them. And like, for me, that's that's jarring. So I never really looked at it as like working on computers. I would work on graphic design, but I'd be in Photoshop, right? Um, yeah, just everything was on the computer. So it made sense to me that I would use a computer for everything. Do you spend your free time on, on a computer? Or Not so much like- these days. It depends. Um, when I was younger, I mean, I... You know, I've always been really physically active. I've always done martial arts of some sort. Not now because of COVID. And that's why you see what uh, is sitting in front of you today. <laughs> About 20 pounds heavier than I should be. I, um, but uh, We fed you a good, healthy meal. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, directly uh, the way to my heart these days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I mean, like, I'd always been physically active. I, I definitely pride myself on being a bit of a contradiction in that way. I know I was very physically active when I was younger, skateboarding, 
uh, hiking, backpacking. I mean, I, I grew up in nature, snowboarding a lot. I mean, I used to, I had an agreement with my parent, parents that if, um, if I got straight A's, I was allowed to skip one day every week and go snowboarding uh, for school. So I grew up being able to take one day off of school and go snowboarding because I, and that's the only reason I really kept my grades up, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it was the benefit of yeah. keeping the grades up. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, like I've always, um, done a little bit of both. Uh, it's, it's really hard. You know, I, I that's something that I really struggle with, like doing it as a profession now is that it, it becomes hard. You know, people always say like, do your, do your passion. You'll never work a day in your life, but I feel like they should say, you know, work using your passion and you'll never work on another side project the rest of your life <laughs> because it's almost the last thing I want to do. My, my hobbies now kind of include uh, staring at things that are far away. That's one of my favorite pastimes, just looking at things that are not five feet from my face. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time with my, my fiance. That's a big part of my life. Um, but honestly, yeah, most of the work, if I ever want to do work, whether that's working for my own stuff, um, whatever it is, I, I am usually on a computer. Okay. When you're not, I guess when you're not working, do you ever put the, do you ever put the phone down? Do you ever? Yeah. Yeah. I, I unplug, unplug. I turn off my phone on weekends often and I turn off my computer and I turn off everything and I often just will clean or whatever. And to find moments of silence. I'm also, I've also had a meditation practice for a really long time. Um, okay. That's really important to me. So when you, when you meditate, um, so I, I'm not like the most consistent person with meditation. Mm. I know it's beneficial. Uh, I know my head gets, gets really loud. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, somebody told me that, uh, that meditation is not for yourself. It's for others just because you want to be able to set aside what's going on in your head to be present and listen to another person when you have the chance to be in the same room with them and connect with them. Yeah, I think that's I think that's part of it. There's a lot of meditation, right? So I am Buddhist, so mine has a little bit more of a religious connotation. Okay. I would say that, yeah, you're right. Buddhism kind of holds two things true, which is one, that you can't alleviate the suffering of others unless you yourself have alleviated your suffering. Basically, you can't teach people how to meditate until you're good, <laughs> more or less, right? Is So it's to focus there um, and address that. And then also, too, um, I wouldn't say it's so much, for me, an experience of, like, pushing myself aside, maybe the ego, um, but it's more about connecting with my real self, right? Like the self that you feel in the silent moments, you know, that is, I feel a true representation of myself, right? I'm not my thoughts, right? So distancing myself from my thoughts doesn't make me any further. In fact, I feel it draws me closer to who I really am, right? Um, but you could talk circles about meditation. It's it's always a practice, and it's hard to put into words the benefits. Uh, it's just a skill. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something that you've always done? Is a, were you raised Buddhist? No, no, I was raised. My parents are very evangelical Christian. Okay. Yeah. Um, so no, I I definitely say my dad was open to like more Eastern mysticism stuff. He he's an artist, you know. I don't think that for him the that Christianity and Buddhism were necessarily opposite forces that couldn't coexist, right? He still spent long times meditating as prayer. Um, more general spirituality was pretty encouraged in my home, so I'm fortunate for that. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my grandpa was a Lutheran minister, so um, okay. on my mom's side. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I grew up with my uncle being a pastor, so I get where you're, I get where you're coming from there. Yeah. Um, you're you're an interesting person in this office. <laughs> uh, Thanks. So, correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't go to school for chemistry, is what I went yeah, to school for. Went, yeah. Yeah. So, 
you're a very educated person. Yeah. Or you're you're educated in, in at least on that spectrum of it. Yeah. The scientific spectrum. Yeah. I like to think I'm a curious person who has grit. <laughs> what do you mean by grit? Just, I mean, you could look at it one of two ways. One, you could call it obsessive force, which it, it can be sometimes, right? But I just mean the ability to be, I mean, I'm just, this is why my relationship with my fiance is really good because she worries about things like where the next meal is coming from. Uh, and I worry about things like why can light derived from heat only be red and white and blue? I didn't know it was red, white, and blue. Well, think about it. Have you ever seen light derived by heat, meaning like incandescent lamps that aren't LEDs, that's green? Okay. No. <laughs> no. So, I mean, I, it was like two weeks ago, I spent like a couple days thinking about it. And I learned about it in chemistry. It's called black body radiation. But it's not really any more complicated than that just being interesting to me. <laughs> and then just reading about it and like trying to think about it. It's, you know, I'm a, I, I don't think that I like ever saw education. I think I, I'm just curious. Fair. So we talked a lot about, well, at least in this office, I think we've had many conversations about COVID. Yeah. And one of the things that that I said was I think it's it's man-made. Mm. But you went into this long explanation as to why it's not man-made. Yeah. <clears throat> can you can you go back into that explanation? Yeah, with the caveat that like, you know, I have a I have a, an education in chemistry, but I'm not an epidemiologist, right? So essentially I, I mean, this is what's so so difficult about that argument is that I can never 100% prove that it's not man-made, right? All I can tell you is the likelihood. And a lot of people mistake science and they think, oh, well, you know, they have the theory of X and that they're 100% sure. And like scientists sit in this tower and they're like, no, this is the way it is. The reality is, is if you prove science wrong, they give you a Nobel Prize. It's happened a lot. <laughs> sure. I mean, Einstein's theory of relativity was one of those things like you get a Nobel Prize if you prove them wrong. It is not discouraged to prove people wrong. You just have to have the proper evidence, right? So there's a lot of a conversation. I mean, and we could tackle it from one of two two ways. I'll start with the first, which is scientific, um, in that the way that viruses attack your cells. So let's start with really quickly what viruses are. Viruses aren't technically living until they attach to a cell. They're like rocks. They are small protein chains that create a shell. Excuse me. Um, that are incredibly simple. What they do have is inside of this capsid or case of proteins is DNA or RNA technically that can reproduce itself. And it depends on the virus. There's RNA viruses. Coronavirus, I believe, is a single-stranded RNA virus. Uh, you might have to look that up, though. But so they go and they get into your cell and then they start reproducing themselves. And since reproducing is one of the criterion that we use for something that's living, because when it's outside of the cell, it cannot reproduce. It's not considered living at that point. So it's this weird kind of fancy rock <laughs> thing that exists. So that happens in order to do that. It has to attach to a site on the cell. It's called the surface protein. Um, You've probably heard like with HIV AIDS, you have what's called the CD4 count. I believe it's CD4. Um, that is the amount of those receptors that they can sense with this test. And what that is, is they're saying that how many of those are not attached to. They're trying to measure those. So it's like a lock and key mechanism more or less, right? So they bind to certain uh, surface proteins. So the surface protein that we share in common with a bat I believe it's the GP9, but I'm not sure on that exactly. Uh, that is the site that coronavirus attaches to, okay. which is why things often transmit from bats because, one, they share, they share similar protein surfaces because they're mammals, and, two, everything eats and steps on bat shit, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's much easier for it to spread. You know, if you're eating a pig, pigs eat guano, and bats fly everywhere. And they shit everywhere. What's going on? Uh, bat shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Scientific term for bat shit. Gotcha. You never seen Ace Ventura? 
I have. It's been years, yeah. man. It's been so many. Yeah, years. so that's usually why bats are the source of things like that. But the reality is, is like I, I don't like the the racism around like, well, Chinese people, you know, they eat uh, meats we're unfamiliar with. Could have come from a pig. Could have come from anything, right? Could have come from any animal that that would have contact with bat shit or guano, if you want to be fancy. Um, so we can kind of trace that lineage back and follow like what proteins it's been attached to and that's really clear evidence that it was from another animal, right? One, that's, that's number one. Number two is you're severely overestimating our capability of genetic engineering. If you think that we can make a virus at this point, right? I mean, I think that there's this, like this idea of people being separate from science because it feels very distant to people. And that's science's fault a lot of the time, but you have to think like the people at, Merck or Pfizer or a place like this, they have loved ones that die of cancer too. They're people too. They're not just holding on to the secret cure to cancer. Like a lot of these people are motivated to go into these fields because they lost a loved one. Right. And it's, and it's a little disingenuous to be like, well, you know, there's 40,000 people and they all have collectively agreed to just keep this under wraps. And the difficulty of engineering a virus is insane. We do have gene editing technology, right? But why is our first reaction not... I mean, I maybe I have a better view of science being in it. I feel like someone's first reaction to having a cheap gene editing technology like CRISPR. We're not going to go into CRISPR. That's a long conversation. It's a cheap gene editing technology. Um, the likelihood that somebody looks at that and says, wow, you know, I w- would really like to help people with Down syndrome with this is far more likely than somebody being like, I, an individual, am going to push forward the American left, even though we're a global organization, I specifically care about America's political situation. It's very narcissistic to assume that anybody cares. Um, And I I honestly, like, I I feel very strongly about China in general because I don't, uh, I don't think I've stated this to you even. I have five sisters that are adopted from China. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I traveled there a lot when I was younger, uh, like anywhere from like 10 to 16. Uh, I would spend like two or three weeks of time there, uh, at a time there. And um, I just like people are people no matter where you go. and People care, you know? Uh, I mean, China is a country of two billion people. It's one third. The... If you were to throw a dart on a map for where a virus would show up, you have a one-third chance it would be China, right? Just because of the raw amount of people. Yeah. Um, and that's where I stand on that. I I just think that if you look at the way that things work, like viruses mutate. They mutate. Prob- there's probably billions of viruses mutating every day, right? Every once in a while, that one tends to be really, really, really virulent. And... That's also, even if we could edit the gene technology, right, which we can with a lot of work and effort, and we don't understand it very well, but assume we could get that finite, we wouldn't know what, what things to change, more so than something that tries billions of different variations every day, right? It's just like, it's like a computer trying to solve Bitcoin, right? Like, it's impossible. That's why Bitcoin is as expensive as it is. Like, the scale of the problem far out, far uh, outweighs our ability to do anything. I mean, we're just not that smart, right? It's really what it is. We're just, people overestimate how smart we are. We're not. We're not smart at all. There's so much more to figure out. So from a, I guess from, from a mask perspective, mm-hmm. is that, I mean, cause it seems like there's so many different opinions on, if a mask helps. Yeah. Or early on, we were we were all inside. We were quarantining away from people, and there was the controversy of being away from people and not, you know, sh- having a strong immune system. Right. Or strengthening your immune system. Right. Uh, was a bigger issue. Right. Is that is that accurate? Or is it, like... I mean, I guess yeah. you might have a better idea of that because I have no clue. My, right. step, my stepdad's the doctor in our family. Right. So the immune system thing is, uh, that one's 
I'm gonna I'm gonna call BS on the strengthening your immune system, right? So you have to think like we have to think of ourselves as like I am human, heart, blah blah blah. You have more bacterial cells in your body than you do human cells, and that has to do with the how the size that they are. They're much smaller than we you know than human cells are. But yeah, you okay. if you're looking at cell count, not mass, right? You gotcha. have more bacterial cells in your body than you do human cells. You are more bacteria than you would like to think, right? <laughs> you have an incredibly complex ecosystem of bacteria in your body. And it affects your behavior and health. That's where the idea of gut microbiomes comes from. Like, it really can affect the way that your body works. Um, so, presenting us as, like, nice, tidy thing is, is wrong, first of all. And then also, like I said, so the way the immune system works, once again, a caveat of like quick 30 second demo of how this works and not at all indicative of like a very deep study of, of immunology. There are people who spend their whole careers doing it. Um, but we had talked about that protein surface binding. Um, what your body kind of learns to do with the T killer cells and all of your immune cells is it can identify what are called antigens, which are proteins on the surface of the virus, right? So those proteins that encase all the RNA that's getting injected into your cell, your body will learn to identify that. And then eventually it'll reassemble stuff until it can kind of find something that will get rid of it, right? What's something that will enter the lock and key mechanism, break it open so that it kills it, lyses the cell. Um, So the trick is to be able to go through that process quickly enough to not die, uh, right. Because if you can't produce the antigen quickly enough, uh, you, you, the antibody to the antigen, you will die. Uh, and that's why things can be lethal. Um, is that why people with, uh, like underlying health conditions, right. Uh, might not be able to, right. Yeah. To the severity of it can be worse. Right. Um, and the symptoms can be more detrimental, right? Like if you have lung issues, but you're, you have, uh, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COVID's gonna gonna hit you a lot harder, right? So, sure, I suppose if you we haven't even identified what the protein that's encasing what well they probably have now actually I shouldn't say that with the vaccine that's the process of finding a vaccine is figuring out what protein we can pick out on the site of that virus to trigger your body to have that response so it's prepared to fight off the next one, right? faster than, and you're not getting actual symptoms at that point because you don't actually have the virus, right? You have, your, your body recognizes the protein as a foreign agent, builds the antibodies before it can be introduced to the virus. Gotcha. So I don't think that COVID, it's, a, it's kind of a chicken or the egg argument, right? Because COVID wouldn't be as virulent as, as it is if it had a similar protein to viruses that were already out there because you would already have antibodies to it. So building your immune system against other proteins, it's not effective. It just, it's not the same thing, right? Um, There is something to be said for like, so I've noticed that like symptomatic, uh, more people are symptomatic when they have a vitamin D deficiency is something that's coming out. Um, And that should just be a testament to how we should care about our overall health, you know? But as far as I'm concerned, like saying I'm not going to wear a mask, but then eating McDonald's, and not taking care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, it's not really correct. <laughs> I mean, you know, COVID can, can be dangerous. It really can. Um, there is a greater argument to have about, like, what do we do next time this happens? And it will happen again. There will be more pandemics. We're in a connected world. Um and I think those are the conversations we, we could be having. And that's why I want to push people to have those conversations about, did we shut down? You know, did we shut down too intensely? Should we have done it more at the beginning? What about people's mental health? What about people in the recovery community who rely on a sense of community for sobriety sometimes? That's a very real threat. You know, I understand yeah. that. Those are the conversations we need to be having, which is why I don't want to have the conversation, it's a Chinese hoax, which is why I don't want to have the conversation it was made by the liberal left, which is why I don't want to have the con- any of those other conversations that are just categorically false. Because we need to have conversations about how does our response change next time? How do we make sure that people are safe next time? There will be a next time. That's what bothers me about those conversations about 
calling into question the veracity of it is that we don't ever get to get to the conversations that that we should be having because it's just seen as like it doesn't exist or it does and we can never talk about what happens next time i hope that makes sense it's yeah no i'm 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 tracking exactly where you're going i'm over here just like wanting to like clap like <sighs> like there's much better, like less popular scientists out there who are much more like, informed, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, the president and all yeah. the people, you know, that have been involved in this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I felt like I, I felt like very early on it was kind of a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Where you do something too early. And right. people are losing their mind, but you do something too late and it spins out of control. And now we end up almost a year late or over a year later. Right. Uh, from when things started to, to really, really move. Yeah. And the, the rough thing about COVID particularly too, that I don't think a lot of people realize is the reason to, of keeping the case count low was because we couldn't produce enough tests to meet up with the demand in tests. So what would happen is we did something called pooling. So we'd say, let's take eight samples. We'll throw them all into one pool. We'll test them all for COVID. If it comes back negative, we know those eight people are good. If it comes back positive, we'll split it into a group of four. So we'll test those four. We'll test there. That way you only need to use two tests, you know, potentially to test and so on and so forth, right? The problem is, is that the larger percentage of the population that gets infected that becomes less and less effective, right? If one out of every two people is infected, then you can't really do it. There's no point in doing it. You might as well just test them separately. See, I feel like I, I feel like this conversation, like, I feel like this is what should have happened. Yeah, 100%. Like, like this yeah. is what should have happened. It shouldn't have been, hey, there's this going on. This is what we're going to do about it. Right. But then you're not really, like, there's not really any information passed in that. It's just... right. Now the government is stepping in because something needs to be done. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really fair. And that's that's honestly sometimes a failure of uh, technology to circle it back to computers. Nice full circle. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> but what I mean, that's, that's what we're going for here. Sometimes they don't, they don't, they're not a good sound bite. It's not a good sound bite to have a conversation like this sometimes, right? Um, except for how you'll edit it so that this podcast is appealing, but <laughs> no, I mean, so the, like, that's, that's one of the things that when I started doing this, I was like, I was super intimidated as far as, you know, how am I going to edit things? I don't really know how to do it. You know, I'm just kind of figuring this out as I go. Yeah. Um, but I really, I, there's not going to be any editing. Maybe I'll edit the beginning where I'm moving around the mic and yeah, making a ton of noises. And, uh, I don't even know if I introduced you. But it doesn't like, matter. I'm nameless. Right. But like that, but like that, like that said, uh, the thing that really hit me when I was thinking about the whole podcast and how I'm going to edit it and whatnot, I'm really just adding some music at the beginning. If we take a break in the middle of the middle yeah, and the end, you know, cause I'd like to do the, I've, I've the last couple of podcasts, this is the third time I've sat down with somebody. Uh, and it's in the middle of the work day, which is tight. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully Tyler doesn't listen. Um, <laughs> I'll just work a little late today. I'm compiling. Right. <laughs> but no, uh, no, I want, I want people to be able to, to listen to it and have it in context where it's not just that sound bite. Right. Like maybe there'll be a sound, maybe there'll be a sound bite of something that you save. That's yeah. You know, that makes people want to listen. Right. But it won't be edited to where it's now construed to be something that it's not. Right, which is something that's rough. But also, like, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny. People point to technology, but let's, let's remove technology from the platform. I, I think you also look at, like, news, right? News was like that before we had the Internet, right, where things got very polarized very quickly because these companies want money. And do you know what makes people spend money? Emotions. <laughs> you know what people... They want people to be angry. They want people to watch their show. They're, they're companies. Think about Fox. You know, it's so funny. Fox News, right? Really, yeah. really right wing. Fox News is really, really right wing. Fox, the same company, they put Family Guy on the air. Right? They put American Dad on the air. 
They put some yeah. of the most liberal shows on television on the air. In terms of major network, the only thing that I think could compete with it is maybe Comedy Central. Other than that, very liberal network. It's just their news portion. Why? Because it sells. Right? <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, it's, a, it, it's the unfortunate thing is that you do the thing that makes you the most money sometimes. Right, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what for-profit companies do. I mean, that's, that's what, that is what they're designed to do. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, we can't be surprised about it anymore. Yeah, we were, you know, I think we were having the conversation before we started recording about, you know, what, you know, what is the company contributing to? Yeah. That's bigger than itself. Right. Which, in a company setting, I think it's really easy to look at, you know, the things that are, are very measurable, you know, the profit. Right. Your lot, you know, what, uh, you, you know, your profit margins, what you're, what you're spending on material. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how much money somebody is bringing in, uh, you know, all those things are super easy to measurable. So like, let's just measure those. Right. But does that mean that, you know, if we have, if we have 10 guys that can generate a million dollars, does that mean we're going to be, does that mean that that's the only thing that we should base somebody being successful on is if they can bring in a million dollars? Right. Yeah. And I, I'm a free market capitalist through and through. Love, love America. I'm a patriot. <laughs> Believe it or not, <laughs> it can happen. Uh, people <laughs> on the left can be incredibly patriotic, and I am. I love America. I, it is by far the best country on the earth. I'll say that through and through. I just don't know if I want that same incentive tied up with making healthcare decisions for people. Is really what it comes down to. When you have a profit motive, right? Sometimes it's not the best thing for taking care of people, <laughs> if that's your goal. And maybe we need to do something societally to change that. I don't know what the answer is, but I, it's concerning to me, right? And it's a little bit, um, it's funny because, you know, I often hear people say, like, let's, why did we ever go off the gold standard, you know? Uh, I think I said that a couple days yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Well, cool. We're about to go through a lesson then. Uh, you know, dollars are just meaningless, but so is gold. Right? What what we do you need gold yeah, for? Yeah, we gave it a value. Yeah, it's just fiat. So so why would we limit our money supply to the amount of gold that there is on the earth? And I understand like controlling inflation, right? But that's often not people's argument. It's just like money isn't worth anything. Now there's gold. Literally, the only reason anything is worth anything is because we decide it's worth that much, right? Even carrots. Like if people were like later carrots, like you know, I mean kale. Kale has no value to a lot of people, myself included. <laughs> right? But like that that is like, yeah, you're you're almost there. You're almost there. You're you're like, okay, money's worth no value, but gold. I was like, what are you building semiconductors and making jewelry? Come on. Like <laughs> gold is just valuable because it's rare and shiny. And we were like, oh, cool. Like yeah. you know, um, I think and if there's an apocalypse, I'm gonna want canned food. I don't want <laughs> I don't want gold. I was thinking about this the other day. It was it was funny. I started learning to sew. Uh, Sydney and I, on our anniversary, we, we bought a sewing machine. We're like, let's try and sew something. Horrible failure. I need to take classes. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, but I tried. I know a guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we replaced his roof. Oh, nice. That'd yeah. be really cool. Yeah, and I was talking about... So, sewing is so interesting because I feel like that should be under the category of traditionally manly, right? Like, I don't know why that was left out of, like, manly, self-sufficient skills. Because I feel like yeah. I make my own clothes out of animal hides. It's like, that's like, you know, people are saying, oh, I've got these guns for when Armageddon happens. I'm sure those people will be important. But I know chemistry and I can sew clothing. Like, the people with the guns are going to come find me. <laughs> They're going to need to be dressed in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I, it's interesting how, how that one was left out of the, like, self-sufficiency part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's also, like, it, it also gets divided up between you know that's a man's role and that's you know uh, a woman's role unfortunately yeah but i mean i would i wish i knew how, i wish yeah. that i knew how to do why, it why that it's, it's just like why not i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean the number of holes that i get in my pants like it's ridiculous when i was at when i was at boot camp there was one guy in our platoon that knew how to sew so when we would rip a hole like in one of the pockets at you know at 10 30 at night 
we're all taking our stuff over there to him. He's just got, you know, he's got a, <laughs> he's got a, he's got a little sewing pack. And instead of yeah. using the, instead of using the thread that's, per, that's provided in yeah. there, you know, he's using uh, dental floss. Oh, cool. Uh, cause yeah. it holds, cause it, it's a stronger hold yeah. for those things. So then I didn't have to continually take those things back to him. But there was only one guy out of 60 people that knew how to do it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting is that uh, sometimes, like, I can't tell if people are talking about boot camp or prison. <laughs> because oh, so that, no, yeah. So, that could definitely be a prison story as well. There was one sure. dude who had dental floss and a needle fashioned out of it. <laughs> 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 and was patching our pants. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, I think that... Uh, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people that we interact with, you know, we've all got a, we've all got a past and, you know, we've all moved forward and, you know, we're no longer those people. But, uh, you know, in my case, in my case, I'm talking about boot camp for the Marine Corps. Yeah. Because that's what I did right out of high school. Yeah. Right. I didn't, well, even, I didn't even walk at graduation. I, right. I joined the Marine Corps. Out of Texas, correct? You were in. No. So I actually went to high school out here. Okay. So I went to Red Mountain in East Mesa. Okay. Uh, my sister went there. It's really like, it's like the biggest reason why I wanted to graduate from there. Yeah. Cause it was like, well, my sister graduated from here. I want to graduate from there. <laughs> like I got, I was telling, I was telling, uh, Rafi in the last episode that, uh, I got my GED when we moved out to Colorado. Mm. Uh, my parents were super cool about it. Uh, you know, my, one of my friends had passed away and I just had no interest in going to school at that point and yeah. just kind of really withdrew from everybody. Yeah. And they were like, well, get your GED and get a job. So I did that. Uh, but then we were in Colorado, I think, for four months. Yeah. Uh, and then we moved back. And I was like, well, I want to go back to school now. Mm. So it's weird. I have a GED I, and a I high have school a diploma. GED and a high school diploma. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, Double major. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, college didn't really work out, I think. And that was another, that was another thing, you know, I didn't really enjoy school, but when I came back, uh, I went to EBIT. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't do the computer programs. I did the, uh, I did construction technologies. Right. Um, we built a robot the first year. I learned how to, That's cool. I learned how to use a CNC mill. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, somehow we managed to get a CNC mill and cool. nobody knew how to use it. It was, uh, the software, the computer was... What's the other operating system? Linux? Yeah, it was Linux-based. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I was in there, and it took me probably four months to figure out yeah. how to start moving everything and to write a program for it. Right. Because you've got you've to pick it up. You've got to move yep. it. You've got to yeah. drop it. Very much gotta... like the 3D printer I've got sitting over here. It's this, actually yeah. the same thing. It's, it's called G-Code. Uh, yeah. Yeah, runs off the same exact thing. Had to, yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it now because it's yeah. been, I mean, it's, it's been almost 15 years. Yeah. Now there are much easier programs. You just drop I, something in there and then, <laughs> and then you send the G code and it does it for you. So yeah. 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 But like, okay, so I'm getting better. I noticed, I, I, I noticed when I said like this time, yeah, <laughs> I stopped myself. My sister made this big deal a while back, probably seven or eight years ago where she brought up people using filler words. So like, um, but all those words that you use on a daily basis and that kind of becomes synonymous Yeah, with the times that we're living in where you don't really have anybody that's, that's speaking in a fashion where it's not okay to use like, so, um, you don't really have to be so yeah. precise. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I also think language evolves, right? I mean, yeah, I'm, use, I'm fine I mean, with we it. use fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We use fire as like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I don't get that. Ain't's in the dictionary now too. It's also lit. It is lit. <laughs> we had a conversation about that too. We were talking about Discord. Yeah. Oh yeah. Discord's cool. Discord was lit. <laughs> yeah, Discord. Discord's cool. But we also have Teams. We have all this. We have all these software programs for us to communicate. My goal is not to do. I that was literally like, hey Dane, I know you're in the middle of a project, but can we spin up a Raspberry Pi with a Discord server that has everyone on the TV? And I was like, yeah, like sure, yeah, we I suppose. Can. <laughs> yeah, and I, I asked somebody who wasn't really involved from from the top perspective, yeah. 
where I was just was uh, I, j- I just had to ask, why are we using Discord? We have Teams. Yeah. We already have Microsoft Teams, which accomplishes the same thing. The only thing that Discord really gave us was the ability to be on screen constantly. I wanted to give you all the option to leave if you wanted to. <laughs> it's yeah, I don't. Ultimately I mean, it, 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 it came in and it it really hasn't been utilized right. since now we're all back in the office. Right, exactly. And that, I, I kind of knew that that was where it was going, so I knew it was kind of a flash in the pan, honestly. And I, I just got something up quick because I knew we would be hopping away from it pretty quickly. Um, honestly, the, yeah, the, the reason I chose Discord is nothing other than that's what ran really performant. I tried Zoom, wasn't running on the Raspberry Pi, couldn't handle it. So Discord was the, the most performant. We went with that. But yes, there is a general trend of people having too many communication platforms. Um, it's getting Which better. Which are supposed to keep us, air quotes, connected. Yeah, no, they don't. I mean, I mean, you have these. I mean, we have huge organizations like Facebook and and Twitter and all these platforms that are trying to keep us connected. But it feels like, especially right now in 2021, it feels like we're. It feels like the majority of us are more disconnected from people yeah. than we ever have been. Yeah. And and I honestly, I, I often being of that world, I, I do debate with myself whether or not that is a function of the technologies or a function of technology, right? Whether or not we're doomed to be, to have kind of a disconnected experience or whether or not that's the way that we're using it or the, the systems that are being built. So for example, like during the pandemic, my family has never been all in one place. There's a ton of us. I have brothers in California. My parents live in Hawaii. My sisters live in Oregon. Um, so we're all disconnected. And we started a family Zoom, which now we're probably going to continue after the pandemic. Right? I have been thinking a lot about how the pandemic has shifted people's perspective of what it means to be to use technology. right? Because video chat was like very much a thing for me as a gamer and like Twitch and streaming and stuff before it was really aware, like in the public sphere. And now, I mean, I think our usage of zoom will be entirely different after the pandemic. I think people will continue to use it. I mean, you're seeing perspectives change on working from home in general, you know, and it is an event that has shifted the way we use technology. So I think, you know, you know, I program things, but, Things program us too. It's definitely like a back and forth. And that's what I say about like computers always being a tool. It's a reflection. I don't know if you've ever seen Solaris. It's a Kubrick film uh, from the 70s and they remade it recently with George Clooney. And, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I've, I know the and, new one. I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. So the whole premise of that is that, you know, humans go to these other planets and stuff and they say, you know, and finally George Clooney comes out and says, after a while, his character is like, you know, we think we want to discover other planets and we think we want to find new, new things, but we really just go looking for mirrors. And like, so sometimes it can be like pointing a finger at technology and being like Facebook, look at what Facebook's done to us. You might as well be pointing it back at yourself. Like, because yes, Facebook capitalizes on getting people engaged, but we're still people who get angry. We're still people who surround ourselves with people who agree with us because it feels good, right? It does. Physically yeah. feels good. So the platform and the user, um, I, I would, we think these things are so far removed from us, but really they're just extensions of us. Everything. We make mirrors, right? That's a, that's a harsh reality to look at. But yeah. if it, I mean, but at the, sa- at, the, at the same time, though, I mean... You know, I, I'm involved with a program that says that my problems are of my own making. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which means, yeah. That, which, which, which is awesome because that means I can still, that means I can do something about it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's really hard being that, you know, little fish swimming upstream and going the opposite direction of everybody else to try to get away from that. Yeah. It's a lot easier to go with the current. Yeah. You know, you know, it's so I got a couple questions cause I don't often talk to people about recovery. Cause I, I honestly, I don't want to feel like a tourist. Sure. Right? And sometimes I feel that way and I just don't feel like it's respectful to people sometimes to really talk about it. Um, but this seems like the proper format for it. So, uh, 
I guess my, my first question is I'm a hard determinist, so I don't believe in free will at all, uh, zero free will. And so I see kind of two contradictory beliefs, not that everything has to be binary, and the concept that, like, I am an addict, I have no control, I have a disease, which I agree with, right? I'm a hard determinist, yeah. Sure. But also, like, I need to take responsibility for my actions, which is interesting to me because yeah. those are at odds with each other. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, I think that... Uh you know, at a certain at a certain point in my life, that's kind of what I subscribed to. Yeah, I knew there was something wrong. Right. I didn't know what. Yeah. Um. It took and it took me a really long time. Uh, you know, kind of figure that out. Uh, I can only speak. I, I can only speak for myself. Um, which it feels like. It feels like a lot of people today, and this is just my perspective on it. Yeah feels like a lot of people today are trying to speak for a lot of people. Yeah. And they have no clue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess at, at a point in my life, that was, you know, that was, that was a belief that I have. That was something going on in my head where, yeah, I don't have any control over it. But then once I was able to, you know, move away and, separate you know the the drug usage and the mm. alcohol from it mm. you know it was like those things went hand in hand it wasn't it wasn't one without the other mm. so uh you know it's i mean i've had a couple friends of mine uh that are super close to me and they're like i can't i can't do drugs anymore there's yeah. just too much risk. I'm like, I always want drugs. <laughs> like, like I always want drugs. It's just I'm I'm removed from it now. My head is clear or clearer. Yeah. Than it was at the time that that was the only thing that mattered. That was like I didn't have anything to lose. Yeah. You know, I had lost I had lost everything. And yeah. when I say that I had lost everything, it wasn't you know I wasn't I wasn't alone in the world. Right. You know I had my tr- I had I had you know physical things that like I owned and were with me. Right. Just that's where my headspace was. Hmm. My headspace was I had pushed everybody, you know, at, at arm's length where don't get too don't get too close to me because if you get too close to me, like I used to wear a baseball cap and uh so that I could look in other people's eyes, but they couldn't see directly into my eyes. Hmm. Because if you get too close to me, yeah. You're going to you're going to know something's up. You're going to know that you know, I'm just this shell of a being. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was one it wasn't just that by itself. At least for me. It was I I don't have any control over it. At first right. it was fun. You know, it it was fun until it wasn't. Yeah. At the point where I'm just continuing to do these things and continuing to do these things at that point it wasn't fun. Like, it wasn't fun for me. Hmm. Um, you know, so it wasn't ever, you know, that wasn't ever in the plans. Yeah. Stopping was never in the plans. Cause I was raised that, you know, don't be a quitter. <laughs> you know, quitting was a bad thing. In this case, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's yeah. a, be- it's a beautiful thing. And from that, you know, I've been, I've, I've been able to, to move forward and, and live this beautiful life now. No, not to say that there's not problems all the time. Right. Uh, it's just, it's not that big anymore, man. I mean, it's, yeah, we're, we're blessed with first world problems. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, most of my problems aren't life and death. Yeah. That problem was life and death. Yeah. Like for me, I have to, like, I believe to my core that it's life or death. Right. Because, I mean, there's bigger, you know, there's bigger and better stuff out there now, man. Yeah. You know, being, being a little over two years removed from it, you know, it's not. Yeah. It's interesting to me, like from a, from a purely Buddhist perspective, there's the concept of craving. Okay. Right. Which is, uh, often sometimes it's translated as desire. You know what I mean? Like be free of desire, but I feel like it's a kind of a crummy translation. 
Um, no, I can I, I, I can get where you're coming from. There's actually a guy that I listened to on my buddy's podcast. Mm. And he said, um, so he was talking specifically uh, about sex addiction. Mm. And he was, he was referencing what his pastor had said. And he said that, um, he said, uh, we're going to, we worshiped ourselves into this. We're going to worship ourselves out of it. Mm. It's just changing what it, in that, in that case, it's changing what you're worshiping. Yeah. So. Right. That makes total sense. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, if you, you can almost, it's funny to me because people often, I think, judge addicts. Right. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally guilty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I see some of the same patterns in the way that people use technology, specifically Facebook and myself included. So to give you an example, like I get on Facebook, I'll get angry. I'll, you know, write a heavy, uh, a long post to somebody explaining anything. Nothing changes. And that, and yet the next time I see something like that, I fire up the anger response again, even though it was not effective the last time. <laughs> it made nobody's life better. And yet you're still doing it, right? Like I'm a terrible, like I'm the worst doctor treating myself. Like, <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's, it's funny to me that, that people can look down on people who, you know, often in, in recovery, people have suffered traumas, right? I mean, and they look at people like that and be like, wow, what an uh, illogical move. Let me go on Facebook <laughs> and argue with people. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think it's, I've, I've been blessed to be, you know, where I am with, with respects to recovery. Yeah. You know, the people that have been in my life, uh, you know, thank God they cared more about whether I lived or died than whether or not I liked what they had to say. Right. You know, cause one of the biggest things that, that happened to me was I was outside of a store and some dude that I ran, that I came across didn't know him from Adam. Uh, he walked out of the store. He saw me one day and he was like, dude, you keep doing what you're doing. You're going to die. Hmm. And I thought that that was just the meanest thing that anybody could ever say to me. Right. And, but that I was in it at that point. Right. You know, I had a completely different, a completely different outlook on life, a completely different perspective. And how dare he say that to me? <laughs> and now I'm sitting here. How can I get to that point? Right. How can I get to that point where, like, I say I don't care about a lot of things. Yeah. But how do I get to the point where I don't care if somebody likes me mm-hmm. or not, or somebody likes what I have to say mm-hmm. and be more concerned about their well-being, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a struggle. It's, it's this huge struggle because mm-hmm. I have this constant desire and need to be liked. Mm-hmm. So getting to that, getting to that point, it's one of the, it's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me because I wasn't ready for it when he, when he said it, right. But he planted the seed, he planted the seed and, and that seed grew later on. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't think that he said that because he didn't care. I think he said that because he cared about you in that moment more than anything else right i mean i think yeah it's, I, yeah yeah when i like when i say he yeah. didn't care he didn't he wasn't he, worried about the ramifications of you know what i mean right he was yeah like he that. wasn't worried about he wasn't worried about pissing me off by what he was gonna say right because what he what he said ultimately you know at a later date is something that I attribute to really rattling around in my brain long enough for me to come out of the haze that I was in and to hear what he had to say. Like I wasn't ready for it at that time, Hmm. but it was just cool to see somebody caring about people in that fashion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's selflessness, right? Caring more about someone else. He cared more about your well being than he did about you liking him. Yeah. Right. Dissolution of ego, I guess. Yeah, so I guess... How do... 
and maybe this is just maybe again this maybe this is just my perspective yeah uh but we were talking before we started recording um we were talking about that contributing to to other things yeah like to something, something outside bigger, of like yourself something outside of yourself something yeah. bigger than yourself I feel like in a like in in personal lives it's it's easier to say that mm. it's more it's more acceptable to do that in your personal life right but in a business from a business aspect of it it's harder it, I, I feel like it's harder for people to understand that from a business perspective yeah is that something that is that something that you think should be involved in business is that something that because hmm. because that's I, a hard question <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i guess i look at it, i guess i guess the reason i'm asking this is because for a very long time i i really struggled and i still do sometimes uh, i struggled with being the person that i am at work mm-hmm. and then the person that i am outside of work and yeah. like now i don't i, I don't want to be a different person at work than i am outside of work Right. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. Whether or not that's the way things should be, I'm probably not the person to ask because I don't have a choice. Um, I am not strategic or restrained or inhibitory enough to draw those lines between my personal and work life. Like I, I had something I've accepted about myself. I've tried many times to fit into the boxes that people have created for me. And it's not because the boxes are necessarily bad. I just have to find the box that I fit right to <laughs> because I'm not, I'm not calculating enough. I'm not disciplined enough to separate my personal <laughs> life and work life. It's the, and it's, it's a failure of personality, but I just have to accept that about myself. And, and so, yeah, I'm not, I won't speak to whether or not things should be a certain way. I don't feel like entitled to speak about that. I mean, there's plenty of people who could show up clock in, clock out and love what they do outside of work time. And they love their job for exactly what that is. Uh, I'm not capable of that because I'm incredibly short-sighted and uh, I am not as good at regulating my emotions as those people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe I'm not the, the expert on that. <laughs> okay. I said this before and I'll say it again. Or even sober if you don't drink LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> I like being like tangential to sobriety long enough that I know like all the the things that people are like, how long have you been sober? I'll be like, just today, bro. Just today. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though. Cause like I, I definitely growing up where I did middle of nowhere, like we, I actively avoided any sort of like high school partying or anything like that because I just like, I was like, there's really nothing to do around here. If I start getting wrapped up in that, I'm just going to like take it to the next level every time. Cause there's literally nothing out here. So my friends and I would do stupid stuff like start boxing rings in the parking lot of school and like build, f- make firework. Just dumb, dumb things. Oh, man. So uh, it looks like we hit the hour mark. Cool. So if you were talking to either your younger self um or somebody who is interested eh, let's go let's let let's not even do your younger self hmm. let's do uh if you were talking to somebody who had the opportunity to move in in the same direction that that you moved in mm-hmm. uh as far as uh, software engineering that kind of stuff what would you tell that person like is there is there is there something you would want them to avoid that wasn't tasteful on your journey? Yeah. I think, look, optimization and designing things the best way and um, saving as many resources as possible, writing the most efficient programs, those are really important things. And that's part of what makes you a, a great programmer. So I wouldn't get away from that. But I would also never forget that these are tools designed for humans, that people are at the center, and that a computer is supposed to be an extension 
of a human being, not in spite of a human being, right? <laughs> I, I think that often developers lose sight of the human element of stuff. Oh, because we hang out with other developers and we're like, oh man, it wouldn't be cool if like this X, Y, and Z happened and I could structure it like this. And then it'd be, you know, half a second faster and everyone will clap. And you make it like one one hundredth <laughs> the, the time and everyone's like, okay, that's cool whatever. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I would say that don't, don't forget technology is always, we have an ethical responsibility to create technology that enhances humanity, right? Don't, don't make the next Facebook, please. Don't, <laughs> even if you can, don't do it. <laughs> make something that connects people, make something that's better for people. Damn. Right on, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me.